0: Our gracious Holy Father, Lord, we are so thankful that we get the privilege of coming together every week to share the good things that you've done in our lives and the way that you've helped us overcome difficulty. And Lord, to give us new messages, new strength for the upcoming week. We cannot wait to hear what you have for us today, Lord. Prepare our hearts for what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, I don't know if you heard, there was another shooting at a school. Did did anyone hear that in the news? This time it was in Western Kentucky, a 15-year-old teenager opened fire at a high school where he killed two students and injured about 18 others. The mother of one of the students who was killed was interviewed. I don't know why they do that. Why do they, the, they just always put the mic in front of the suffering family. i seem it seems so uh, unfair and mean, right? But anyways, they interviewed her immediately after this took place. And you could tell that As she's speaking, she's processing her own words. So she said something like this. I will pray for the shooter, but I'm not sure I will ever be able to face him. I'm not even sure I can go to court and see him. I want him to pay for everything he's done, she said. I also want to pray for him because I know he's probably having a hard time. But he took our baby. He still took my baby from me. Those words of this suffering mother perfectly describe the dilemma every human being faces at some point in their lives. Someone takes something precious from you, hurts you, mocks you, or someone you love, and then you have a choice. Will you choose love Or will you choose to hold on to anger and hate? But she was honest in her sharing and who can't blame her, right? I don't even know if I can pray for this young man who took my baby. Who could blame her? Her whole world was turned upside down in a blink of an eye and for no apparent reason. So as I consider her words, the story of Jonah came to mind. Now, this is a story that has been sanitized, right? It's been diluted in order to be shared with children. We heard it in primary school, elementary school, but it's been heavily sanitized. And so, when we do that, we miss important details of the story. In 2 Kings 14, we find Jonah bringing good news to his people, the people of Israel. He has been told to share the news of a re expansion. That's exciting. The kingdom, the northern kingdom, is expanding good days ahead. So Jonah's life was going very, very good. Better days are ahead was his main message. And because his prophecy came true in a very short span, Jonah was very popular with the people. Jonah, remember that movie from VeggieTales? Jonah, what's the word? They were eager to hear, what do you have to say? Because whatever he said always came true and that was exciting. Then one day, God interrupts Jonah's life. God interrupts the bed of flowers he was laying on and he says, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to go tell the people of Nineveh that their sin has come up to me, and they will be destroyed. Destruction will come to the city. So to say that Jonah did not like this assignment, it is a great understatement. Jonah was pro-Israel, everything for his people, and very much against Anything that was not Israel. Nineveh was as anti-Israel as it got. See, in 2 Kings 18, there we see the story that describes the king of Assyria conquering 46 of Judah's city. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the king proceeds to mock Israel and King Hezekiah because it was so easy to take over. Very anti-Israel. So the Assyrians were not Jonah's friend. Now Nineveh, however, had a lot going on for them. They were the biggest city in the biggest, most powerful country at the time. This was Assyria. Great inventions that we even still use today came out of Assyria. Things like keys and locks, timekeeping systems, paved roads, plumbing systems, flushing toilets, and even the idea of government divided into territories. All that started in Assyria. They were smart, powerful, inventive, full of potential, but they were also evil and lawless Ruthless. Nahum 3, verses 1 through 4, gives us a tiny idea of how ruthless the people of Nineveh were. It says, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Now that sounds like nice people, doesn't it? The military rulers of Assyria were brutal. Brutal. Their absolutely ruthless tactics for conquering other nations were well known all over the world at the time, and they were terrified. Historical accounts describe in detail their methods, which included flaying the enemy, spreading their skins or making piles of chopped heads over piles of dead corpses. Their specialty, however, was cutting limbs from live people, different body parts. So some people were even put inside the walls of the city so they would not be able to get out. Anything I say cannot fully explain the diabolical evil that Assyrians prided themselves on. So many other horrendous details, but I think you get the picture. So this was no children's fable. God wanted Jonah to preach to those people. What? (laughs) Absolutely no, Jonah said, no thank you. Jonah had no desire to step foot in that city, much less preach about God's love to them. For him, the good news would be that God would simply burn the people of Nineveh to a crisp. He could not wait to see the city up in flames. That would be good news. He thought the world would certainly be a much more peaceful, better place if Assyria did not exist, and especially Nineveh. So we all know what happened, right? Jonah catches a ship going the exact opposite of where God had told him to go. A storm breaks out, and the ship crew, who, by the way, were not followers of his God, they realize that the storm was Jonah's fault and that something very terrible that Jonah had done had cost this storm to happen. Now you know when even non-believers are pointing to you because you're not following God, you're in trouble. So a whale was sent under strict orders from God to pick up this runaway prophet and deliver him directly to Nineveh. And the whale, unlike Jonah, obeyed without hesitation. See, sometimes animals have an easier time obeying God than humans. So while Jonah was in the belly of the whale in timeout, he begins to pray. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me, from the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listen to my cry. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you and to your holy temple. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. That's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? A bit dramatic, doesn't it? It is obvious that this experience has impacted him greatly. He is grateful that God is giving him a second chance. Almost instantly, Jonah recognized that this whale was God's doing. There was no sign in there that said, you are being given a second chance. But somehow Jonah knows this is your second chance. So he vows to do what God has asked him to do. Here's what gets me. Jonah is so grateful that he's been given a second chance. Yet in just a few more verses we discovered that Jonah is okay with receiving second chances, not so much in God giving them to people he doesn't like. So they've arrived to their destination the whale again following God's orders what, vomits him out of her mouth. Because really there's no prettier way to do this delivery. And God tells Jonah once again in case he forgot, uh, Jonah seems to be a bit forgetful. Go to Nineveh. Chapter 3, last part of verse 2. Preach to them the message that I tell you. I love this line. See, God has been a bit cryptic right now with Jonah. It's almost as if God realizes that's all you can handle for now. Just one foot in front of the other. I'll tell you what to do when you get there. That's as far as I take you right now. But here's the beautiful thing. After all of this, God still chooses Jonah. Don't you think God could have chosen anyone else? He still, the whale could have done it. God chooses Jonah for the mission. God calls him to be a prophet, gives him a message only a prophet can deliver. In other words, God has been merciful to Jonah. He is physically experiencing what he's being told to share with Nineveh. Jonah chapter 3, last part of 4 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Short, not sweet, but to the point. That was his message. God said go tell them 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown it is very likely that God included some of the things that he had already told him in chapter one when he said their sin you know it's come up to me we don't know we just know this this was the essence of his message prepare for destruction The end is coming very soon. So he repeated that over and over for three whole days as he walked through and around the city of Nineveh saying the same thing over and over again. Prepare for destruction. The end is coming very soon. And somehow, somehow, Even when Jonah's heart was not in the message, somehow the people of Nineveh understood that those 40 days were a period of grace. And that was a gift from God that somehow God is allowing them time to come to repentance. God used Jonah in spite of himself. And their response is almost unbelievable. Jonah 3:5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloths from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. Unreal, unheard of. On verse four, Jonah is telling them destruction is coming. On verse five, the entire city repents. They all turn from their ways and believe in God. Now tell me what evangelist do you know that has ever walked into a city, preach a one-line sermon, And the entire city, all the way from the mayor to the very last baby born, turns from their way and believes in God. I don't think even Billy Graham can pull that off. Unheard of. In this case, the king himself repented. And proclaim a period of fasting so that everyone may have an opportunity to cry out to God and turn from evil. Because maybe, just maybe, God will have mercy on their souls. So God did have mercy. And he saw that their actions were genuine and honest and were really remorseful and they were truly wanting to turn their ways. So Jonah, Jonah chapter 3, uh, last part of 10. He, God, relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Now most preachers would be thrilled that anything that's shared in a sermon would mean that one or two, maybe, people would now begin to have a new, renewed relationship with God. Just one person. A few hundreds would be amazing, incredible. Thousands upon thousands. Now that had never happened to Jonah before, ever. Has it happened since? God used Jonah in a powerful way. So obviously Jonah was happy, right? I mean, this means that their once terrible neighbors will now be happy, will be more neighborly, you know, a little, mo- a little less, what do we call that, um, criminals? You would think that would, make, that would make Jonah happy. Nicer, friendlier neighbors. Win-win for all. Well, let's just see what he responds. Uh, Jonah chapter 4, 1. To Jonah, these seem very wrong. And he became angry. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. He's actually yelling at God for being too compassionate. Slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents for crying out loud from sending calamity kind of God are you now Lord here's the drama again take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live so Jonah says to God this is exactly what I was afraid of I was afraid of exactly this happening. I know you're good. I know you're merciful. You just love to lavish people in love and mercy, but really? This people? Couldn't you just hold your mercy and compassion and grace for us? They don't deserve it. You know, that's exactly the definition of mercy, isn't it? Giving something to someone who does not deserve it. And God is full of mercy. And Jonah was not having it. To Jonah, mercy should be reserved for his people, not criminals. From Nineveh. You know what? Jonah told God, just kill me. Just end it already. I don't even want to be part of this. It is best that I die than to see this people receive the grace of God. And there it is, the biggest tantrum in the history of the world. Verse 4, God asked Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry? Really? I mean, is it? Because God is not saying it, but he's probably alluding to the fact that, Look what it took me to bring you to this point. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer. Now he's giving God the silent treatment. He just walks out of the city, finds a place to sit down where he can watch firsthand the destruction of the city. It's almost like he he wants to wield that destruction. Still, God is gracious and he makes a plant to grow over Jonah's head so that he can watch his destruction from a nice shaded area. Oh, God is so gracious. And then Jonah's grateful. He's very grateful for the plant. He finally comes around to talking to God. You know, he's thankful again. But then calamity strikes. A worm eats the plant. And the next tantrum comes again. It's just Jonah's life is so hard. Why would God allow this catastrophe? So God asks one more time, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? You seem to care more about that plant than you care about the people of Nineveh. And his answer honestly should send chills down our spine. Verse 9, last part of uh, verse 9. It is right for me to be angry, Jonah answers. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead mercy. Jonah, the prophet of God, never understood grace and mercy. See, his entire career was to deliver the news of God's grace and mercy. His messages were full of hope and encouragement, but he was all talk. He never understood the words that he was sent to share. Never. Those words never change him from the inside out. He was just talk. He was so against God's grace being given to the people of Nineveh that he would rather lose his own salvation than to see that happening. See, it is very possible It is very possible for us to spend our entire lives in church, proclaiming the coming of Jesus Christ, sharing about how much God loves us, how merciful he is, teaching Sabbath school, even preaching from his own pulpit. But if we do not have love for everyone and always, well, even those we do not like, we don't love those. We've completely missed the point, just like Jonah. 1 Corinthians thirteen two says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Joyce Meyer, is a popular Christian author and uh, speaker. She tells the story of when she was a child, she was sexually, mentally, physically, verbally abused by her own father. From the age she was nine until she was able to leave her, her house at the age of 18, this took place. She says the things he did to her were so unspeakable that she's never been able to share her full story, and she probably will never will. As a young girl, she gave her life to Jesus, but she was so confused by what was happening at home and what she was learning about Jesus at church. So her life was just filled with confusion After she left home, she married somebody who cheated on her constantly, and so that didn't last very long. That marriage ended, and then she found another husband, and this person was very kind and loving to her. And she found a way to repair her relationship with God through her new marriage. She gives her life to Christ. Her and her husband begin a new ministry for television and radio in the city of Chicago. And then God takes Joyce through the grueling, slow, long process of forgiving. It took years until she finally felt like she was able to say, I forgive you to her father. Her father, on the other hand, would say to her, Joyce, I am so sorry that you feel I hurt you. I still don't understand what was so bad about what I did. As her father got older and more frail, she hears God's voice again telling her, take care of your father. He is now near death, and she hears God's voice saying, Buy a house for him, buy his food, his clothes, take care of him. Her husband said, Absolutely no. But soon they both realize this is really what God wants us to do. And so reluctantly they move in faith and purchase a house from him, for him. Every day, she takes care of her father. The same man who made her existence a living hell. Every food purchase, every kind word, every touch of compassion begins to chip away at the heart rock of heart inside that man until one day he breaks down, begins to cry, and calls Joyce and her husband both to the side of her bed. And with tears in his eyes, profusely apologizes and begs forgiveness from both of them. Who is your Nineveh? We all have them. We all have them, and if you don't, just wait a minute. It's coming. Who is your Nineveh? Is it someone who hurt you? Someone who mocked you, took something from you, or someone? Maybe a neighbor who is not very neighborly, a father, a mother who should have protected you, a sibling, Where is your Nineveh? Could God be calling you to pray for your Nineveh? Let's pray. Father, forgiveness is part of love, and love is a messy thing. But Lord, we're so grateful that you specialize in cleaning up messes. And so it is that we pray for your anointing, for your spirit to fill us because it is the only way that we will find a way to love those that we find unlovable. Jesus, this week we pray that we will find a way to renew our relationship with you, deepen our relationship with you. It is the only source of love the only way to love our Nineveh. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.